hot flashes, restless leg syndrome, anxiety and insomnia. Everything associated with perimenopause. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Val on all things perimenopausal. Dr. Valerie Cacho is a board-certified internal medicine and sleep medicine physician. She is passionate about inspiring her patients to obtain optimal sleep, health and wellness through integrative, holistic and lifestyle medicine approaches. Dr. Kacho attended medical school at Loma Linda University in Southern California, trained in internal medicine at Huntington Memorial Hospital in Pasadena, and completed a sleep fellowship at the Cedar-Sinai Medical Program based in Los Angeles. She completed an additional fellowship in integrative medicine founded by Dr. Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona and has co-edited a book entitled Integrative Sleep Medicine that is part of the Weil Integrative Medicine series. In this episode, she breaks down all the ways perimenopause disrupts sleep and what we can do about it. And please do excuse my sore throat throughout this episode. Now, even though I come from the land of Ayurveda, the original circadian medicine, I come across many people who are so disconnected from nature's rhythms. I'm a host of a sleep podcast and I myself know how easily I slip into a pattern of reaching for my phone to check messages and emails as I wake up. The Circadian Lifestyle Rhythm app is a beautiful approach to subtly remind us of ways by which we can get back to the original source of energy and be connected with natural biorhythms. Lifetime use of this app costs close to $60 and I'm offering one user a code to unlock free lifetime access to this app. If you'd like to get this code, leave our show a review on Apple and just mail me a screenshot to thepadphytothrive.com and I'll pick one user who'll win this code with this episode. For now, let's listen to Perimenopause and Sleep with Dr. Val. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author in New Guinea and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Dr. Valerie, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a 
great pleasure for me to have you today and speaking about something that so many women probably struggle with which is perimenopause and sleep issues i hear this so often and um, women's health is always something that i'm so passionate about and uh, when two women come together it's always great conversation so this is something that's exciting today and we're talking i'd like us to go into perimenopause symptoms specifically which impact sleep and you're also so focused on sleep medicine itself so you're the perfect person to be doing this but what got you so passionate about women's health Well, thank you, Deepa, for having me on your podcast today. So women's health is just really interesting. I think when you take a look at the history of science, women have been marginalized, you know, through science, through, you know, education um, and business and our careers just for a really long time. Um, personally, you know, being a woman, I'm, you know, certainly interested in this. And more, in, more recently, you know, I was thinking about, um, I'm now in private practice. I used to be employed from a, a big corporation. And as I started to create my own private practice, I thought about who I really wanted to help the most. And so when I took a look at maybe in my um, previous job, I think the patients that the primary care doctors had the most hard time with are people who have insomnia. And then I was just looking at some of the data, maybe just some of uh, my own patient panel. And a lot of women have higher rates of insomnia, especially in around the time of menopause. And so that really just sort of struck a chord thinking, wow, there's uh, such a need. I don't be, I didn't, you know, I'm a woman myself, being able to relate to women, you know, what, what are they going through? How much of that is hormonal? How much of this is just in that transition period of your life, you know, maybe you have young kids or older kids going to college at that same time, you may be at, you know, the top or near the peak of your career thinking about, you know, potentially retiring. And also on the other end of the spectrum, you know, having parents who are elderly that you're taking care of. So there's just a lot of things that can be going on from a family, social, um, career dynamics that can play a role into someone's health. And being a sleep physician, you know, I certainly know how that can play a role with insomnia. So it was just something that made a lot of sense to me that I should focus my efforts. Um, and it was just really fascinating to do so. And Val, you know, um, in the sleep world, I don't know if you observe that there's so, I don't think I've heard a single other practitioner who's focused on sleep, bringing attention to women's specific sleep issues. There's a lot of crossover between practitioners, but you're the first person I've seen who's brought that attention to hormones and women specifically. And, uh, and you know, perimenopause is this time that it can run through several years. I mean, it can vary from woman to woman and uh, symptoms can be so individual and it can really be very, very detrimental to all health if a woman is not sleeping, especially given that she probably doesn't have the luxury to lie down in the morning and go to sleep whenever she wants to. Uh, so what are some of those specific symptoms that you feel do arise during the perimenopausal phase, which impact sleep and uh, where do we actually begin to recognize that uh, hormones are impacting our sleep? 
Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. And like you said, it's different for, for every woman. Um, sometimes when I have a, a woman I'm doing my in intake, you know, I ask about, you know, when was your last period? You know, some people who had surgical menopause and they had a lot of symptoms back then. Um, sometimes, you know, they don't have any symptoms whatsoever. And sometimes someone has all the symptoms in the book, right? So certainly since I'm a sleep doctor, we can talk about that, you know, difficulty falling asleep, um, moods, changes, depression, anxiety, being a little bit more irritable, maybe some difficulty losing weight, um, dry skin, feel like their hair is falling out, vaginal dryness, bone pain, um, you know, the list, <laughs> the list can continue. And the thing about perimenopause, right, when you look at what menopause is, menopause is just one day, one day where you don't have your period, you know, a year prior the whole perimenopause period, meaning around the time can be, you know, 10 years on either end. So it's a really broad range, you know, in the US, the average age of menopause is 51. So, you know, women as young in, in their early 40s um, can have these symptoms even, even up to the, their 60s as well. So there's this wide gap of, of women who, you know, need more special attention. And another reason why I like to focus on this is because, you know, certainly you go to your women's health doctor, you talk about, you know, your, 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 your mammogram, you talk about, you know, getting your pap smear and sort of the cancer prevention, but, you know, OB-gynecologists aren't necessarily trained um, in sleep and all the different aspects of sleep medicine. Uh, you know, we know that as women go through perimenopause, as we lose some of their hormones, uh, you know, we have higher rates of obstructive sleep apnea, difficulty breathing. Also, you know, you can have higher issues with restless leg syndrome, which is associated with low iron, and then certainly insomnia for multiple factors as well. So it's just a really unique time. And, you know, I like to give as much attention and individualized care, as you mentioned, because not everyone fits that, you know, that little box of what, what, what perimenopause should look like and what your health looks like. I'm going to pick your brains well on all that you mentioned. So I'd really like to dive deep into everything that you spoke about because I can actually see in my mind so many women that I know who have specific issues that you mentioned, including restless legs, hot flashes, and just not being able to fall asleep. But how uh, it would really help if you could get started by telling us a little bit about what's actually happening with our hormones at that age and why is this, uh, why are we falling off that state of balance? So what's going on with our hormones and uh, typically what is perimenopause? So does it begin at 40 or 45? So some clarity with um, age and what's going on with our hormones? Yeah, that's a great question. So the hormones that we're specifically talking about are the reproductive hormones. So as we get older, you know, gifts of father gives the mother time, um, our bodies say, you know, we don't need to have babies anymore. So essentially, when we don't need to have babies, right, we have so many, um, you know, eggs, you know, so within our within our um, our ovarian system. And then, you know, right, every time you have a period, you know, those um, eggs, if they're not fertilized, they go away. And so as we get older, you know, if we don't have that signal to have, you know, kids anymore, right, um, what happens is that the estrogen and progesterone levels go down, right, because those are the sex hormones, you know, progesterone promotes gestation. Um, when, when those levels start to fluctuate and slowly decrease, then there's also levels of um, FSH, follicle similar, 
follicle stimulating hormones that increase. And it's really with those changes with the decreasing progesterone, with the decreasing estrogen, where we have some of our uh, fluctuations in hot flashes and in mood and then in, in certainly in, in sleep as well. Um, you know, the question is, is should we measure these hormones? Um, and certainly I'm not a <laughs> gynecologist. Um, so, you know, I, I don't do a lot of the, I don't do the testing. I just refer back to the gynecologist to do so. I mean, if you haven't had your period for one year, then you know, you know, for sure you're in menopause. I think, you know, the men you mentioned, you know, women in their 40s and 50s, right, you know, are, you know, they're having difficulty sleeping, you know, maybe they're suffering from some anxiety, you know, you know, is it from hormonal changes? Is it from life changes? Is it stress from X, Y, or Z? Um, would hormone, um, would, would testing hormones be beneficial? So one thing to know about testing hormones, right, throughout the cycle of your month, right, um, the levels do change. And so if you're in the pre-ovulatory or post-ovulatory phase, uh, it can be different. So it's really important to know, you know, if, if you know how long your menstrual cycle is, and then, you know, doing a blood test at that time. But also, you know, it may be worthwhile to do multiple blood tests, right? Because you want to see where you are along that curve. It's not just one flat curve, it's fluctuating throughout the month. The problematic part is sometimes if you have a regular period, right? And if you don't really know if you're ovulating, then where are you going to check yourself along that time? So I know some OB-GYN doctors don't even check hormones, don't recommend it. There's a lot of commercial um, testing available here in the U.S. where um, you pay out of pocket because insurance doesn't pay and it's, you know, a, a lot of money. At the end of the day, you know, the question is, is, okay, you know, if we know you're in perimenopause based on your hormone levels, well, what are we going to do about it, right? So then that goes into the treatment, whereas, you know, hormone replacement therapy may be beneficial if you meet criteria. Not everybody meets criteria, right? Because if you're on these hormones, that can increase your risk for things like, you know, cancers of the breast and, and, and ovaries and uterus and even, you know, increased risk for high blood pressure. So it really just depends on that, um, that select person. But, you know, the thing about it, and as you probably know, right, a lot of mind-body therapies are really good for symptoms, right? You know? How do we treat depression? How do we treat anxiety? You know, mindfulness meditation is really helpful. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? You know, teaching your brain, reprogramming the brain how, how to think about something. It's actually been shown to be helpful for hot flashes, right? So do we need to put people on hormones if there are other alternative and really good therapies, you know, without any side effects? And that's really something to take into consideration as well. I was just going to ask you about testing when you yourself spoke about testing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because yeah. as a, typically, you know, tests also vary in India versus US and there's serum labs mm -hmm. versus Dutch tests. So there's so much of assessment that mm -hmm. goes into it. And, you know, even though the gynecologist sometimes asks for hormonal tests, it's not always that they do something with it afterwards. So mm -hmm. sometimes people are left clueless because they get hormone reports, but they don't know what to do. But I'd like us to go a little bit into, uh, you mentioned low progesterone, low estrogen. So could we talk a little bit in detail about if uh, those specifically impact sleep in terms of how does low progesterone impact sleep and how does uh, low estrogen impact sleep? Oh, Geeta, that's a very good question. And um, as I I created I a, pre a presentation on women's sleep, and I was looking at the at, at the data that 
you know, sort of explain this. And it was pretty confusing, to be honest, even for myself. So first off, I can talk about the data from subjective studies. So, you know, subjectively, they've done questionnaires in women, you know, how are your sleeping, um, rate your sleep quality, and then they would measure your their hormone levels, specifically, you know, the FSH, the estrogen, and then the um, progesterone or estradiol progesterone. And what they've seen, right, is, you know, if you have a, a higher the change in the FSH, um, not necessarily, you know, a specific level of progesterone or estradiol, it has to do more of that difference in FSH was associated with, you know, poor quality sleep. And so that's just from, you know, patient self-report asking you, how is your sleep? And then they did studies, different women though, where they actually put them in the lab, in the sleep lab, and they did something called a polysomnography, right? And so that's the gold standard, how we monitor sleep, usually for sleep apnea, for movements, any type of underlying medical sleep disorder. And so they're looking at their brain waves so they know what actually different stage of sleep they're in. And so interesting to find out, right, even though that women had these changes in FSH, they didn't necessarily correlate with difficulty sleeping. <laughs> so, so what does that tell us, right? I think at the end of the day, it just means it's complicated. And certainly, I think hormones play a role in regulating our sleep, but I don't think it's the end all. Um, you know, sleep is pretty complicated in the fact that, you know, what I like to tell patients is sleep is when your brainwaves start to slow down. And then there's different processes in our body. You know, I'm sure, you know, like the homeostatic, the circadian rhythm, um, how anxious we are. And so when we take a look at the hormone factor, I think it certainly does play a role, especially for people who have, you know, hot flashes, which can be associated to a changes in, in progesterone. It's interesting to note, though, that women who do have hot flashes and insomnia, being on hormone replacement therapy can be beneficial. And even taking plant, you know, estrogen, you know, isoflavins can help, you know, things like soy products. So there is something to the fact that supplementing the hormones can help with sleep. But it was really interesting that the subjective data that we have from women as you know, compared to the, the hormone blood test, and then the actual objective data from going to the lab, uh, it didn't explain it completely. Yeah, so I don't know if that helps, but it's just a little bit confusing. So yes, yeah, hormones matter, but they're not the whole picture. Sure. Yeah. And I would like you to tell us a little bit about restless leg syndrome. So yeah. give us like what what are your, what exactly is going on physiologically? <laughs> is it certain deficiencies? Why are some people more prone to it? And uh, how how might someone who's struggling with restless legs and struggling with sleep help themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. And restless leg syndrome is really interesting. So um, the question that I have for patients, if there is a concern for restless leg, uh, I ask them, do you have an urge to move your legs? Does rest make it worse? Uh, is there a circadian component to it? So is it worse at the end of the day or in the evening when you're trying to fall asleep? And the biggest part is, does it get better with movement? And if it happens at least three times a week or greater, then we consider it restless leg syndrome. Um, the problem with restless leg syndrome is that there are other conditions that can mimic it. So, you know, sometimes I have my questionnaire and it's basically, do you, do you have an uncomfortable sensation in your legs that get worse in the evening? So I try to keep it really simple. So they say yes, and I ask them more of the probing questions. But sometimes people are like, yeah, you know, I, I stand all day for work. And so at the end of the day, my legs are so tired. So I have to wiggle them around or stretch them around or have someone massage them. 
or someone says, yeah, you know, I have back pain and I have some like nerve pain. And so at night, my legs bother me. Or if you have diabetic neuropathy or you have nerve pain or sometimes people who have, you know, arthritis in their knees can have, you know, some discomfort in their legs. So really teasing those out, because if you have an underlying, you know, back issue, arthritis or nerve issue, then it's not really restless leg syndrome. So restless leg, you know, are those factors that I, I discussed. I've had patients who can't sleep. They actually can cause insomnia. So it's the daytime symptoms can keep you from falling asleep. They can pace the room for hours and hours. It's really interesting because it's a, it's a genetic disease. Sometimes it can run in families. So adults can have it and even kids can have it as well. The way that we work it up is we look for a ferritin, which is um, the iron storage protein, because if that's low, we can replace it. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable. Some of my patients who've been on iron for quite some time, maybe have an issue with absorbing iron. We've even given IV iron, so yeah. in, intravenously, um, and that's really helped some of their restless leg symptoms as well. Um, so restless leg syndrome is a, a syndrome during um, before you fall asleep, but up to 60 to 80 percent of people who have restless leg syndrome can also have the nighttime symptoms. So when you're not conscious of it, you can actually kick your legs throughout the night. And if we see this in the lab, sometimes we see that you can kick your legs and then your brain wakes up and it could keep you from falling asleep as well. So we treat it the same. We look for iron levels. If not, there are some medications that we can give patients who work on the dopamine system, um, like Parkinson's medications that certainly can help. But yeah, it happens in women, especially women around um, pregnancy. Um, certain medications can cause it, anti-allergy anti medications can cause it as well. So yeah, it's a really interesting, interesting condition and it actually can be a little bit tricky, tricky to treat. And I know that the most common thing that you hear from a lot of women in perimenopause is the hot flashes or they're saying that the room feels hot when their husband turns on even the air conditioner or they feel too cold. It's really very, very confusing. So um, what does someone do if she's just bathed in sweat in the middle of the night and that's ruining her sleep? And are there simple things that someone can do to help uh, manage sleep if that's the reason for insomnia? Yeah, and you know, one thing too is give yourself grace, knowing that what you're going through is part of the normal human process uh, it certainly isn't comfortable but it you know it, it gifts of father time gifts of mother time yeah hot flashes can be quite difficult but no I mean it's certainly not forever I mean if it's so bad you know hormone replacement therapy if someone's eligible can be really beneficial and it's interesting even and some antidepressants have been shown to help um, from a more natural standpoint you know there's the um, plant estrogens, things like soy products, um, some even um, herbs can help. I think red clover is one of them. Some people talk about um, black cohosh and that can help as well. But you know, like I was mentioning earlier, sometimes mind-body practices can help, right? Sometimes people have that anticipation. They know that a hot flash is gonna come at night and then they start to get nervous. Maybe their heart rate will start to increase and that can sort of trigger it as well. So keeping your body in a state of calm and peace as, as much as possible. And that can help contribute to sleep as well. 
Um, you know, hopefully there's a, if they have a, a partner, you know, hopefully that partner is um, very supportive to know that, you know, sometimes they just have to have that fan on, that AC on if they have it blasting at, at full heat. Yeah, yeah, it can be quite debilitating. You know, I've heard of stories of women who have to change their clothes, change their, you know, their sheets because they just soak through it. Um, um, have you commonly seen women in perimenopause struggling with anxiety that's ruining sleep because sometimes those shifting hormones can create a little bit of chaos in the um, mind and you can feel anxious, highly stressed. Is that something that you commonly see? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the thing about women who are talking about Historically, I think women are a little bit marginalized when it comes to science and research. And it just brings me to the story of a, a patient that I saw you know, last week. Um, you know, she has been diagnosed with depression, anxiety for a couple of years. And, you know, her psychiatrist kept saying, well, that's why you can't sleep, right? Because, you know, you have depression, anxiety, we have to get your, you know, you know take these medications, try this therapy, and it still didn't help. And she was referred from her primary care doctor to myself, um, really to see if she had sleep apnea. I think she saw a new doctor and it was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, you've been doing the same, you know, when you're doing the same thing for quite some time and things aren't getting better, you need to sort of a fresh look at it. Um, and I'm asking on my question, she's like, well, I think my husband says I sort of snore, but not really, you know, I don't have the typical gasping or choking. Her husband actually has obstructive sleep apnea and uses the machine. And she's like, no, I'm not like him. I don't have those symptoms. She's like, you know, I just can't stay asleep. And I don't know why. And I think it's probably just my anxiety. So um, we were able to do a sleep study. And lo and behold, it did say that she did wake up 16 times an hour because she wasn't breathing well, right? And sometimes you don't really know. And actually, you know, the, the type of sleep apnea that women can have, right? So sleep apnea happens when the muscles of the upper airway, especially the tongue, the throat can never collapse. Sometimes women's brains, you know, I like to say because they're a little bit more um, uh, intelligent, <laughs> it's a little bit more sensitive. So before the airway completely collapses, our brain can wake us up, right? It's a preventive mechanism. And so, you know, I think she was having more awakenings at night. So she really wasn't having that gasping or choking or that those breath holding episodes. So it'd be interesting to see when she's on therapy, how um, her insomnia gets better. And, you know, it's really interesting when you ask, you know, the depression, anxiety, how that plays a role in sleep, because it's really bi-directional, right? If you start from the sleep aspect, if you don't get enough good sleep, right? If the quality of your sleep is disrupted, you're going to wake up feeling grouchy. You know, sometimes mood is the first thing to go. You don't have as much resilience. You don't have energy. So you're going to feel depressed. Um, you know, I, I had a patient ask me, you know, is, is poor sleep associated with loneliness? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. I haven't heard of that. But I was like, well, you know, if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to want to hang out with your friends, especially if you're in a grouchy mood. You're not going to want to go and laugh and have fun. You're just going to want to go and lie down and sleep. So, right, not getting enough sleep can cause a mood disturbance. And then, you know, the same way, you know, mood disturbances can affect the quality of your sleep. You know, people with depression sometimes have early morning awakenings. People with anxiety can have a hard time settling down. Sometimes their mind is racing and they can't fall asleep. And so I always like to, you know, work at the conditions from both sides, you know, make sure that you're working with a mental health professional to get your depression, anxiety under control. And then if there's any underlying sleep condition, whether it be restless leg, um, whether it be, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, um, making sure that's controlled as well, you know, taking a really look at the holistic pattern. And then as a whole too, you know, well, what are you eating, right? I think, are you, 
nutritionist, work on, work on that aspect. What are you, are you eating? How is that affecting your sleep? I know for me personally, you know, that um, even if I drink caffeine in the morning before 10 o'clock, it's, it's, I'm super sensitive. <laughs> and so I have a hard time settling down. And I figured out I can only have, um, I can have the, the Starbucks um, Grande, but one one black tea bag. If I have two, two, two tea bags, <laughs> it's way too much for me. So knowing your caffeine mode, right? And knowing when to cut yourself off because, you know, sometimes you don't realize, you know, what you're putting into your body and how that affects, you know, what happens with your sleep patterns, you know, 10 hours later. Um, and I think you brought that uh, awareness to mindfulness because you're telling me about one tea bag versus two tea bag. I think being mindful of these individual triggers can be really helpful as well. Um, but Val, walk us through how you might support a perimenopausal woman who's struggling with sleep issues and hot flashes and uh, restless legs. Um, how would you support her recovery towards better sleep in as much a natural and food-based way as possible? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking, I'm looking through my um, my memory banks, you know, who, who's a patient that has something similar. So the way I approach care is I, I have a pretty lengthy questionnaire that goes through really um, medical sleep conditions. You know, the first question I ask is, you know, what are your top concerns? And then what are your health goals, right? So if I know where, you know, someone's coming from and where they want to go, then the plan, right, gets a little bit easier, right? So I'm speaking their language, you know, what do they expect from my, from my visit with them? Um, as a medical sleep physician, you know, I, I certainly want to make sure, like I mentioned, ruling out any underlying medical sleep conditions. So asking about screening questions for restless leg syndrome, asking about obstructive sleep apnea. Something we didn't talk about really is, you know, a lot of people have the circadian rhythm condition where they're night owls trying to live day people's lives, and that can cause some, some difficulty as well. And then, you know, insomnia. And so if they do have insomnia, is it due to a medical condition or is it due to, you know, behave learning um, behaviors and habits around sleep or, you know, their, their diet and, and the lifestyle that's not playing a role. And then looking specifically at the uh, perimenopausal symptoms, right? Is it the hot flashes or, um, you know, is it, you know, you know, muscle aches um, for whatever reason or, um, yeah, you know, is it medication? And then, you know, the other step too is, right, the mind, body, and soul, right? So you talked about the body, you know, what's going on um, with your mind, and uh, are you living a life full of meaning and purpose, right? Sometimes people um, don't sleep because they're in a job that they absolutely hate, but they feel like they have to be there because they have to pay the bills. Um, so, you know, that can be quite difficult as well. So taking the holistic approach um, for a woman going through menopause is, is working through that system, right? Sort of like a top-down approach, you know, where is your health now and where do you want it to be? And then we break it down. And sometimes I just ask them, right? You know, sometimes women can come into me with uh, a whole host of, you know, you know, they could have insomnia, they could have sleep apnea, they could have restless leg syndrome, they could have had hot flashes, right, and high blood pressure. And so, right, maybe the high blood pressure medications are causing them to have insomnia or the opposite, feel too sleepy. And then really what I do is I ask them, okay, where, where do you want to start, right? 
you know, it seems like you have obstructive sleep apnea symptoms. Um, I would readily recommend doing a test for this. We can do it at home or in the lab. Um, however, if your insomnia is not controlled and I make the diagnosis of, of obstructive sleep apnea and I tell you, okay, well, here's this wonderful machine with this mask that you're gonna wear on your face. You can just, you know, laugh at me and say, this is ridiculous. I'm never gonna sleep with something on my face, right? I already can't sleep. How am I gonna sleep with this on, right? So we, you know, the holistic approach is to meet the patient where they're at. If insomnia is the true, you know, the biggest issue at the moment, then then we work there. And then, you know, what's causing the insomnia? Is it a hormonal issue? If it's a hormonal issue, okay, maybe go ahead and talk to your gynecologist. You know, are you a candidate for hormone replacement therapy? If you're not, you know, what are the alternative therapies that can help? You know, maybe you need to bring in a yoga practice or maybe some clinical hypnotherapy or maybe there's some guided meditation CDs that can help right around that or maybe you know just the simple practice of self-awareness right maybe they just haven't you know looked into their caffeine intake or how much they're exercising or notice you know how much time they're on their phone before they fall asleep yeah so <laughs> probably not the most straightforward answer answer but right the answer it depends on what's going on in a woman's life what's bothering them the most and that's how we formulate the plan. And, you know, I like to tell them, you know, I'm here to guide you along your way. Um, I can certainly make suggestions, but, you know, everyone is responsible for their own health, right? So I can keep them accountable. I think one patient that I have, I'm going to check up with her in two weeks, right? Because she, since the pandemic, her, her schedule has been a little bit flexible and she hasn't been, you know, going to sleep <laughs> as when she wanted, exercising as much. And so we decided, all right, how, how, what is... What are you willing to do? Because I think that's the first step. And then we talk about, okay, what's the micro step? What's the step that you're willing to take that's not too big of a leap, but it'll still make a difference? And she said, well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set my alarm for 10 o'clock. And I said, okay, great. Now, are you going to do this every night? Are you going to do this, you know, five days a week, two days a week? And, you know, I really leave it up to her, right? It's part of motivation interviewing. What is she willing to do? And then what is enough, right? How much change? Because I'm like, well, I can tell you, okay, set your alarm for 10 o'clock. And then every day at 10 o'clock, you're going to go to bed. And it's like, you know, sometimes people who want to lose weight, I always have the analogy for sleep for people who want to lose weight. Well, if you want to lose weight, you know, all right, you know, just eat, you know, vegetables, right? <laughs> cut out all sugar, cut out all flour, all simple carbohydrates. And I'll be like, yeah, but that's, how can I do that? You know, it, for some people, right, it's too much of a change that it doesn't even fit within, you know, their, their comprehension. So we focus on what are the little steps that they can make. And so for her, it was, okay, three times a week, I'll focus on, you know, setting a clock at 10 and starting my wind down process with that. Yeah. And it really helps if they create the goal for themselves. And then I'm just there to help motivate them and guide them on, yes, you can do this. It's possible. I think yeah, I appreciate I think I really appreciated you saying first of all that everyone's different and also to break that down into the many, many goals. And I think that can be really helpful because sometimes if you're doing too much, it can be daunting and then you just don't sustain that. So it's very important. But tell me, Val, before we conclude, what would uh, give us an idea of a dinner plate for a perimenopausal woman who's struggling with sleep issues. What should be on her food plate at dinner? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I like this question. So on the dinner plate, yeah, because you asked specifically about dinner. 
Um, I certainly would recommend avoiding wine, <laughs> wine, wine, or alcohol in general, right? Because certainly it can help relax you, but the breakdown products actually can disrupt your sleep, um, disrupt your sleep architecture. So it's really not recommended. Um, foods that are high in fiber, actually high fiber has been shown to help um, improve quality of sleep. Um, foods high in fat and high in sugar have been associated with more arousal. So, you know, what's a good high fiber type food? Well, you know, salads, you know, complex grains um, of, of your choice, um, something probably lean meat. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. You know, fiber at night is, is really beneficial. And then, you know, for um, the daytime, if you wanna talk about the daytime, you know, um, you know, it's the same. If you eat a lot of sugars and simple hydrohydrate, simple carbohydrates, that can actually make you feel a little bit more sleepy. Yeah. So I'll, I, I would certainly recommend during the daytime lower carbohydrates, and maybe you want to save some of them um, for night to help um, promote. Yeah. Great, Val. And before I let you go, I need you to conclude our sleep whisperer mantra which is if sleep is the new medicine then what is Val's take on that? Yeah well that's a good one if sleep is the new medicine why haven't you made it a priority in your life yet? I love that I love that um, where can people find you Val <laughs> if they like you like to know more about the work that you do with women and sleep yeah, I have a, a Facebook and a Instagram. My, my company is called sleepphoria.health. Uh, sleepphoria, like sleep and euphoria mixed together, sleepphoria.health. I have um, some things coming out. It's a little bit uh, sparse at the moment, but um, as time goes by, I'm going to start having more educational type programs and building community there. But right now, it's just like some tips um, about sleep for women. Great, well, thank you for your time and uh, jumping into the female-friendly conversation with me and it was so great to have you and I so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Deepa, for the conversation as well. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. 
it is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health condition be sure to subscribe to the sleep whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches